in our series, What is the Church? We want to talk about the church being a faith community that truly has a love for the world like Jesus. I want to share with you four things today that I believe are important characteristics that Jesus manifested in his earthly life and ministry for those around him in the world. As we look at those four things, I want us to take a personal inventory this morning, and I want us to consider whether or not we have allowed any barriers in our heart to be erected that keep us from loving people in the world around us. There can be a lot of things that affect a Christian and the way they choose to love others in the world around them. And I use that word choose purposely because love truly is a choice. Love should not be based on performance. Love should not be based on any type of status that someone has. It shouldn't be based on our emotion. Shouldn't be based on circumstance. But we ought to be able, by the Spirit of God, to cultivate a love for others around us in this world, just like Jesus had for them and continues to have for them even now. And so, as we look at these characteristics of the love of Jesus for others, I want us to think about whether or not we have allowed barriers to be erected in our lives, in our hearts that keep us truly from loving as Jesus loved. And I want us to pray, if we could just all kind of bow our heads even now, close your eyes if you would like, look into your heart. And I want us just to ask God in these moments to help us to be honest and transparent, to identify growth steps that we need to take as we love others. Let's just pray together. Father, we, we need you today. We need to understand and have the wisdom and the grace to follow the example of Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to be honest with what is really in our hearts today. Help us to be transparent, knowing full well that you already know these things. We can't hide them from you. You already know them. So help us not to play games today or just go through the motions of attending a church gathering. Help us to take it seriously, to be challenged today. And if we are convicted of something by the Spirit, that we would just relinquish that to Him and give up on it in our lives and let Him replace it with what is good and right. God, we ask these things for your glory in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As we get started studying today, I want to remind you of a passage of Scripture that will help us because I think it is through this lens that we need to look as we take our inventory today about our love for others. As we study about Jesus' love, it's going to be really important that we remember the truths taught here. If you want to find your place with me in Ephesians 2, that's fine. I'm not going to stay here, but I just want to read two verses to you as we get started today, beginning in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. This is good for us to remember today. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is healthy for us today to remind ourselves from whence we came. Where did we come from? Well, we came from this position and this place. We were God's enemies. We were at war with God. We were dead in those sins. And Jesus came and died for us even while we were still sinning, even while we were still his father's enemies, even while we still hated and despised him. He died for us on the cross to take care of our sins, to give us freedom from the penalty of our sin to help us have victory over the power of our sin and to eventually be completely separate from even the presence of sin as we are in heaven with him. All of that being provided while we were still dead in our sins. You see, one of the greatest obstacles and barriers to us loving others is Jesus' love is that we have the wrong opinion of ourselves. If we don't get beyond seeing ourselves as being better than others and them being less than us, we will have a very difficult time loving them as Jesus loves them. Don't forget where you came from. So with that in mind, I want to study now in in a topical way the love that Jesus displayed for others in the world. And I would just say that Jesus loves people regardless of these things. We're going to look at them in that way. The first thing that I want to point out to you is that Jesus loves others regardless of whether or not others love them. Have you ever experienced that kind of pressure or tension in your life where you were involved in a situation relationally and there were people in your friend group or maybe even in your family that were taking sides? You ever been in a situation like that? Taking sides? And it was going to affect the way that you showed kindness or love to someone else. And you were were really tempted to base your opinion of someone else or your love for someone else based on how other people were treating them. Happens all the time with children in school. But sadly, it happens with adults too who know better. Jesus was willing to take risks with his love. He was willing to extravagantly love people in a risky way, and he really didn't care what other people in the society, in the culture, or even in the religious sect of the day thought about him loving people that they couldn't stand. Now, Jesus did that in Luke 19, in the passage that we just read. A tax collector. I don't know if there was anyone more hated in that day than those people. They were thieves and rip-off artists. They, they knew how to take advantage of other people, and they did it well. In fact, in Luke 19, we know that Zacchaeus was successful at it because the Scripture goes out of its way to tell us that he was wealthy. He was doing it well. He was ripping people off. He was using his position and his authority to take advantage of other people. It's kind of easy to hate somebody like that, isn't it? Have you ever had that happen in your life? Or maybe had that happen to someone that you love. You, you see someone take advantage of somebody because of their position or their power. It can be rather disgusting, can't it? It can cause us even to go so far as to hate that person. But Jesus loves Zacchaeus because he realizes that Zacchaeus had a need and he wanted to meet that spiritual need. 
So Zacchaeus is our first example. And in Luke 19.10, Jesus states, look, this is why I do this. This is why I'm going to engage people that other people want to hate and want to segregate from and don't want anything to do with because I am here to seek and to save the lost. How many of us are thankful this morning that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost? It's a wonderful thing. All of us were there. Don't forget Ephesians 2. Whether you were living like Zacchaeus or you were religious and lost, Jesus still came to seek you out and to save you from your lostness and to heal every aspect of your brokenness. He was willing to love you with that risk regardless of what other people thought. In Luke chapter 18, we have these words that are truly and sadly a picture of the heart of many people. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that I am not like them. Jesus loved Zacchaeus regardless. He didn't care what the Pharisees thought. He didn't care what other people thought. He took the risk, and he loved Zacchaeus. You know, he also does it in a very close way with Levi. He went to Zacchaeus' home and ministered to him there, but he does something remarkable with Levi. Look at Luke chapter 5 with me. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. That's a little different than I'm coming home with you for dinner tonight, right? No, he actually invites Levi to follow him, to become one of the Christ followers. So, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now, there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them, but the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now notice Jesus' reply. The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus models this love for others, even while others do not love them. I've shared with you some stories before, and I I'll probably share a couple more uh, today about my experience with this church that's forming in Wyoming, there on Byron Center Avenue for re-entering citizens. And I, I've been invited to help with those efforts, and I, I invest some time every Monday to help with those efforts. We have two gatherings on Mondays, and I'm telling you this because I want you to write this down and pray for us. So tomorrow at 9.30 in the morning and at 6.30 in the evening, we will have two gatherings where we are purposely ministering to people who have spent extended time in prison who are re-entering society. When I say that, these people represent any and all types of crimes that you could think of. You name it, it's probably in this group. And when you go into this kind of ministry and you begin to talk to these people and you hear their stories and you hear what they've done, a lot of them have hurt others deeply. 
and they each have a story, they each have motivations, they each have reasons, they, they, they each have their individual story. But one of the things that's a common thread throughout all of these stories is that there was a time when they came in contact with Jesus because he was seeking and saving them and they believed in his sacrifice on the cross for their sins and they became believers. If I were to list off some of the sins that these people have committed, it would turn some of your stomachs because we're talking about some of the worst acts that you could ever commit. But I want you to understand something, church. We preach a gospel that changes people. We preach a gospel that is full of grace. We preach a gospel that is powerful. And when you come in contact with people that society wants to hate and really is thrilled by hating them, you have a question to answer in your mind. Maybe a couple of questions. Number one, am I willing to take the risk and love these people like Jesus loves them? You have to wrestle with that. And number two, it's also a reality check to the church because it faces us with the question, do we really believe the gospel that we preach? Do we believe that the gospel can change anyone who believes? Or do we believe that the gospel is just for pretty good people, right? So when you come in contact with this, it challenged me deeply. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it was, it was a profound experience to talk with these people. I'll, I'll share one story briefly. One of the gentlemen who came to one of the gatherings several weeks ago on a Monday was broken, and it was, it was clear that he was broken. And so he asked for prayer. He he asked for prayer because he was having trouble forgiving someone who, who had sexually violated someone in his family. And he said, I need help to forgive this person. I need help with that. I, I'm a re-entering citizen myself. I, I've done things wrong myself, but I am really struggling with this. One of the men stood up in that particular time and started to give his testimony and this particular man had committed the crime that had happened to this man's family member. And there was an interesting exchange and dynamic that took place. The power of grace was so strong in that meeting. A prayer meeting broke out as a result. And this man who was struggling with forgiveness received prayer. The week after he came and returned to the gathering, and he gave a testimony about how he had written a letter to this individual who had committed this horrible crime, expressing love and grace and forgiveness. That only happens with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel that we have and the gospel that we preach is powerful enough to save anyone from any sins that they have committed. But I want to ask you the question. Can we find it within ourselves to love others that the world dislikes strongly or even hates? Are we willing, and maybe even some in the church struggle with it, are we willing to take the risk and love them? Jesus did. He did so for the sake of the gospel. 
One writer put it this way, one who has been touched by grace will no longer look on those who stray as those evil people or those poor people who need our help. Nor must we search for signs of love worthiness. Grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. None of us deserve his love, but he does love us. And he has demonstrated that love strongly through Jesus on the cross to all who believe, even those that the world hates. The second thing that we learn about the love of Jesus is that he loves people regardless of their past. And we have a couple of strong examples in Scripture of this. How about the one in John chapter 8? The one in John chapter 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives there in verse 1. He went to the temple at dawn, and all the people were coming to him. The scribes and Pharisees were all upset, right? And the passage tells us why. Because they had this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And they have her in the middle of this gathering of people. And they begin to challenge Jesus and question him. And they say, hey, listen, Moses' law says that this woman should be stoned. What do you say? I mean, they were out for blood and revenge. And of course, as verse 6 tells us, they were trying to trap him. And so Jesus, uh, in response to that, stoops down. And he, the scripture says there in, in the end of verse 6 that he begins to write something with his finger. How many of you want to know what that was, right? I would love to know what that was. What in the world? Because Jesus knows everything. So he knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew what they had done in secret. I mean, I don't know what he wrote. I, I think it has something to do with the context. Because when he stands up, he says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. That's the immediate context of him writing something in the ground. So it makes me think that maybe he wrote something that let them know that he knew what they had done in their own life. Or maybe he just wrote out what they did. I have no idea. But it had a profound impact on them, didn't it? After he stoops down and writes in the ground, they left one by one in verse 9. Starting with the older men, the scripture says. And then only Jesus was left with the lady at the center. And verse 10, look at that. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, who, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go and from now on, do not sin anymore. Love, compassion, life-changing truth with a lady who was an adulterer that others thought was worthy of death, Jesus loved and rescued. So regardless of her past, Jesus loved her and rescued her. There's a prostitute talked about in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclines at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner, many uh, scholars, commentators believe it, this lady was a prostitute because of this language. She was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. Okay, so how many of us are really uncomfortable at this point if this happens to us? Right? Wow. Really? Jesus 
allows this to happen. And the story continues to unfold. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love me more? And Simon goes, you know, the one that was forgiven more, that one is going to, to love more. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in here. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus loves regardless of people's past. Two profound examples here. Now, as I say that, I want to also commend each of us today with these thoughts because we are often told that if we truly love someone the way Jesus loves, we will accept them as they are and not expect them to change. Jesus, we are told, preached a message of tolerance and embraced people and all kinds of lifestyles that religious leaders denounced as sinful. If Christians today were truly Christ-like, many say, they would not oppose things like sexual immorality or homosexuality or abortion and would just accept people and support them for who they are. But this is a complete misunderstanding of Jesus' life and teaching. Jesus certainly put great emphasis on love, but he also defined what it means to love. When we really look at the scriptures, we find that Jesus' idea of love is not what the sinful world tells us it is. Jesus didn't love people by leaving them the way they are or by embracing or accepting their sin. He saw their sin as a cancerous disease and himself as a doctor who had come to get rid of it and plainly clarifies that he came to call sinners to repent of their sins. The very message that Jesus preached is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he instructed his followers that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. So as strong as a supporter that I am, and that many of us are no doubt this morning, of loving people regardless of their past, we have to make sure that we do that truthfully and honestly and in a Christ-like way. Loving someone does not mean condoning or approving of sin. If you remember that I talked to you the last time we were together about how important it was that we maintain the right perspective of the gospel, that people need the gospel because of their sin, and that sin has to be talked about in any honest gospel presentation. 
it serves us well to remember that now, too, as we talk about loving people regardless of their past and who they are, perhaps. It doesn't mean that we're hateful, that we don't love them. But we have to maintain, right, what the Scriptures tell us is true. And that presents some challenging opportunities in the arena of ideas, doesn't it? Because you're going to get into all kinds of discussions about these issues and many others, especially as it relates to gender. We need to do so truthfully, but we also must be speaking that truth in love, and we must take the risk and love those people while they are still struggling with their sin so that we can show them Jesus. Don't just take part of that. Take all of that and use it well for the glory of God. There is a third thing that we find about Jesus and his love, and that is that he loves others regardless of their ethnicity. That's the third thought that we want to share today, regardless of their ethnicity. Don't we find that with the Samaritan woman at the well? Now, I understand that this is a hot topic today. It's been a hot topic for a while. But I want us to consider this whole idea because often what happens is our politics will determine our perception and our activity as it relates to loving people of different ethnicities. And I don't think we ought to be governed by our politics in this. I think we ought to follow the example of Jesus. And I think we can do that and do it well for the glory of God. Jesus decides to engage this Samaritan woman at a well that Jews would have despised and would have completely stayed away from. But Jesus doesn't do that. He engages her, doesn't he? Jesus knew in John 4 that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Verse 3, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. So here it is. Transcending two barriers here, really, gender barrier and racial barrier in the culture, Jesus engaged this Samaritan woman at the well took the risk of loving her and showing her love and offering to her eternal life regardless of her ethnicity. So I want you to think about loving people of other ethnicities with me today. Uh, in our immediate area in uh, Hudsonville and Jenison, 
populations are increasing that are going to provide for us more and more opportunities to engage people of different ethnicities. If you live a little further out, you may live in Wyoming. We live in that area that's often called the panhandle of Wyoming. And even in our subdivision, there is a beautiful manifestation of, of diversity, racial diversity. A lot of different ethnicities. In fact, last night we had a, an opportunity to, to speak with one of our neighbors for an extended period of time, longer than ever before, really. So Lori and I are sitting there, and uh, one of the neighbors from Vietnam comes over. He's Vietnamese. I didn't really put all that together until last night. He, he told us that. His name is Wee. If you want to pray for Wee, write it down. And so we're talking to Wee, and uh, he's... He has a story to tell, and so I wanted to hear that story. I said, Wee, tell me your story. Tell me your story. What's going on in your life? Uh, tell me your history a little bit. How did you, how did you get here and, and all that? He's, he's, he was just talking about how thankful he was to be here. And I said, well, how did you get here? Tell me your story. He said, so we were in Vietnam. We were refugees trying to get out of that country. I was eight years old, he said. We needed to get out. It was terrible. He said, we finally were able to get out. He said, my dad couldn't come with us because he had left my mother and started a new family with another lady. So my mom and gathered all the children and we got out. And I said, well, how did, you, how did you do the migration process? What was that like for you? And he goes, you know, it was kind of easy. I said, really? I said, why was it so easy? He said, well, number one, we were refugees. And number two, we had a church in the Grand Rapids area that sponsored us. Somehow they got paired up maybe through an organization. I, I'm sure there's a not-for-profit out there that does this. And so they paired up the church with this family in Vietnam. This guy's in his mid-40s now, so when he was eight, this all happened. This is a long time ago. And, and so this church loved this family that they'd never met before, didn't know from Adam, and sponsors them to come over here. And uh, so we begins to tell the story, he continues to tell the story that, you know, ever since then we've been attending uh, we attended that faith community at first, and then uh, because we moved, we attend another like faith community. And as he was telling the story, when he got to that part, my heart sank. My heart sank. And the reason is, not because he had been shown this love, and not because he was here, but because the faith community that extended itself and showed love to him is not a faith community that's preaching the gospel. So here's we with his family in this church because they loved him, but he's not hearing the gospel. He's not hearing the truth of the gospel that has the power to save him and save his family. And so just to listen and, and to hear him, you know, it was kind of an interesting situation. Uh, even though it's been many, many years that he has been here in this country, his, his accent is still very noticeable and sometimes hard to understand, which, by the way, may be a reason why some of us have erected barriers because we think, I can't engage people because I won't be able to understand them. Well, let me just tell you, there were some times last night when I nodded, I had no idea what the guy was saying, okay? I, God forgive me, but I did, okay? I didn't want that to be a barrier, and it kind of got to a point where I didn't want to keep asking him to repeat himself, so I thought, you know what? God's just going to allow me to understand what I need to understand as I talk to him. And I was thinking, you know, maybe it's a modern manifestation of the gift of tongues. I'm kidding, okay? I'm kidding. But anyway, it was just one of those situations where God provided an opportunity that had, some, that had some details in it that, that could be barriers if we allow them to be barriers. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the grace of God providing for the situation. I didn't have to go to him. He came to me. 
I was sitting around a fire in my driveway. He came to me. It was just a, it's just like a people magnet. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that next Sunday and what we can be doing in leveraging our homes to, to reach into our communities and, and really build relationships with people who need Jesus. I don't know what your obstacle is when it comes to engaging people from different ethnicities, but we probably all have some if we're honest about it today. Maybe some of us have grown beyond that. I know for me, my biggest struggle was at, there was a point in time in my life where I had a strong dislike and even hatred for certain ethnicities. I truly, not in the trendy, fashionable way of saying it today, but I truly was a racist at heart. And I had to overcome that stuff, and I had to give up those thoughts and that way of speaking and that, that way of hating other people. So for me, I had to grow out of that. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, Jesus told us in Mark's gospel that we are to be preaching the gospel to every creature. Jesus said himself in Matthew 28 that as we go about, we're to be making disciples of all the ethnicities of the world. And we can't do that if we allow barriers between us and other ethnicities in the world. We have to tear those down. And Jesus is our example. In John 3, it says that God so loved the world. There was no one outside of that love. Jesus died for all of those, and all those who believe will be saved regardless of ethnicity. You see, all people are created in God's image. And all people from all ethnic groups who believe are united in Christ. Christians of other races aren't just equal to us, they are joined to us in Christ. And the book of Revelation, as you know, portrays a multi-ethnic congregation in heaven. John gives us a glimpse of the people of God at the consummation of history, describing them as people from every tribe and language and people and nation. This fourfold formula of tribe, language, and people and nation stresses the ethnic diversity of the people of God who will worship around the throne. It's a picture of the climactic kingdom of Christ and as such provides a model for us to strive toward. John clearly sees the kingdom of Christ as a multi-ethnic congregation. We must love all people as Jesus loves. Be willing to admit the barrier and deal with it biblically today. There's one final compartment. We'll spend just a few moments as we bring our time to a close. And I, it's Jesus loving others regardless of their brutality. We're talking about enemies here. In Luke 23, we have an example of this. When Jesus was at his own crucifixion, two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. To this crowd, Jesus speaks in a most humble and graceful act of intercession. He speaks to the Father and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what 
they do. Jesus truly models love for our enemies. He was teaching us this in his example. He taught us this in the New Testament through his spoken word. And he was creating a new standard for relationships. He proclaimed to the crowds listening to his Sermon on the Mount that they knew they were to love their neighbor because the command to love our neighbor was a law of God in Leviticus 19. That we must therefore hate our neighbor was an inference incorrectly drawn from it by the Jews. While no Bible verse explicitly says, hate your enemy, the Pharisees may have somewhat misapplied some of the Old Testament passages about hatred for God's enemies, but Jesus replaced this idea with an even higher standard. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus goes on to explain that loving those who love, is, love us is easy and even unbelievers can do that. Then he commands us to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus explained to his followers that they should adhere to the real meaning of God's law by loving their enemies as well as their neighbors. A Pharisee once asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus then told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here Jesus taught his followers that his followers must demonstrate love to all kinds of people, no matter what faith, nationality, or personality enemies included. If you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you then truly reveal that Jesus is Lord of your life. Do you have any enemies today? You know, maybe these people are hostile towards us because we're Christians. Maybe they hate our Christianity. Maybe they hate us. Maybe they take every opportunity to to push our buttons and to show that hatred to us. They could be in your family. They could be in your workplace. They could be in any other group of people with whom you have contact. We need to love them too. In fact, the scripture says we need to pray for them. We need to pray that the light of truth would shine brightly in their hearts and that they'll be drawn to the Father. You know, there have been some examples and stories of believers and other parts of the world who suffered horrible persecution, who have loved those people who persecuted them. And in some cases, even those persecutors have come to a saving faith of Jesus. How does that happen? Only by the grace of God and only by cultivating a true love for one's enemies. So I just want you to consider today, do we have any barriers in our life, in our heart, that keeps us from loving others as Jesus loved the world? Are we willing to be transparent enough to admit that we struggle with this? And can we bring to bear in our own hearts and in our own lives the teaching and example of Jesus? Are we willing to take growth steps as a result of being here today? I hope so. And by God's grace, we need to pray for one another to that end.